Welcome to OCS Field Guide, the podcast that helps you study smarter for the OCS exam. Hello and welcome back to another episode of OCS Field Guide. I'm glad to be back with you after my brief hiatus to work on our new home, and I'm excited to present to you the Neck Pain Clinical Practice Guideline. Luckily, I don't have any persistent low back pain or neck pain following refinishing our floors and tiling our bathroom. Before we get into the 2017 Neck Pain CPG, you should know that the 2017 CPG is an update of the previous 2008 CPG, so make sure you are studying the most recent version. It's also important to take note of this because if you studied or had material taken from CPGs in your PT program before this revision came out, you need to pay careful attention to this as some things have changed in this update. Something you'll note at the end of each section in this CPG is a section titled 2017 Summary, which gives you a convenient overall takeaway on how new evidence has changed what we thought back in 2008. You may not need to memorize each detail given in a lot of sections, but I would bet the information given in those summary sections will be good to know. First, we'll cover the prevalence of neck pain. Prevalence data is quite varied, but here are the main things that you need to know. Number one, neck pain is very common. Between 30 and 50% of the population will have neck pain in a given year, and up to 11% of the general population will have neck pain that causes disability. Second, like low back pain, neck pain is getting more common. In 2010, data showed that neck pain ranked 21st in global causes of disability, while just three years later in 2013, it had moved up to 19th in global causes of disability. Third and final, neck pain recurs often and becomes chronic at a relatively high rate. As many as 30% of people with neck pain will develop chronic symptoms. Overall, the authors want to be sure that you know that neck pain is very prevalent, is becoming more prevalent, recurs often, and is at high risk for chronicity. Next, we'll cover risk factors for developing neck pain. Pay close attention to this because they are similar yet distinct from low back pain risk factors and are not always what we as PTs would expect intuitively. The 2017 CPG update points out that new high-quality systematic reviews have demonstrated that the strongest and most consistent risk factors for new onset of neck pain are female sex and prior history of neck pain. And this is true in both office workers and the general population. Let me repeat that. The strongest and most consistent risk factors for new onset of neck pain are female sex and prior history of neck pain. Low to moderate evidence indicates that the following factors may increase risk for neck pain. Older age, high job demands, smoking history, low social or work support, and prior history of low back pain. Now, why might that be important to know? Let's say you get a case on the test that describes a woman in her late 50s with a high job stress and history of smoking. 
it should take some pretty strong red flags to convince you to choose an option like refer out for further diagnostics before a trial of treatment, as individuals with these factors very commonly end up with neck pain. Let's move on to the clinical course of neck pain and factors that determine prognosis. It is important to note that clinical course and prognosis are difficult to study and describe for most of neck pain subgroups, since non-traumatic neck pain is typically of insidious onset, making it hard to determine a definite beginning. So the most research in this area is going to be related to acute traumatic neck pain, which is largely made up of patients with whiplash-associated disorder, since they are the fastest to receive care and a definite injury date can be determined. For this group, you can generally expect more severe problems initially to indicate an overall poorer prognosis. The clinical course with these individuals is actually not entirely favorable. Research suggests three general outcomes that I'll describe now. About 45% of these individuals will have mild disability and post-traumatic stress, and their problems will likely resolve quickly and completely. Another 40% of patients will have moderate disability and post-traumatic stress, and these will definitely have improvement, but likely incomplete recovery. And another 15% of individuals will have severe disability and post-traumatic stress, and will demonstrate chronic problems without recovery. That being said, with all cases of acute neck pain, traumatic or atraumatic, the fastest progress is going to be made in the first 6 to 12 weeks following injury, with recovery slowing significantly after 12 weeks. On to prognosis. Again, most data in this area is in relation to neck pain of traumatic onset, so keep that in mind as these prognostic factors are most relevant in those cases. The authors list five constructs that are indicative of poorer prognosis and the best available tools for evaluating these constructs with cutoff scores. Hint, these are tools and values that you should know for the OCS exam. Let's list each factor first. High pain intensity, high self-reported disability, high pain catastrophizing, high acute post-traumatic stress symptoms, and cold hyperalgesia. Let's list those again, but add in the associated tool and cut score that you need to know. The first factor, high pain intensity, should be evaluated with the numeric pain rating scale. A cut score of 6 or greater on the NPRS should indicate a poorer prognosis. Second, high self-reported disability should be assessed with the neck disability index, and a cut score of greater than 30% should indicate poorer prognosis. Third, high pain catastrophizing should be assessed with the pain catastrophizing scale, and a score of 20 or greater should indicate poorer prognosis. Fourth, High post-traumatic stress symptoms should be assessed with the impact of events scale revised, and a cut score of 33 or greater should indicate a poor prognosis. The authors remind us that this tool is not intended to assess for post-traumatic stress disorder, but rather to predict symptom chronicity, as high post-traumatic distress is very common and somewhat normal in acute injuries. 
This is also the only construct that is exclusive to traumatic onset neck pain, for obvious reasons. Fifth and final, cold hyperalgesia. For this, they recommend that you whip out your TSA-2 neurosensory analyzer, which is the gold standard. Just kidding. Obviously, only researchers would have access to that kind of equipment. The CPG does recommend alternative tests such as a cold presser test in which the patient would put a hand in ice water and record time to initial pain and time to pain intolerance, or simply placing an ice cube on their skin and doing the same. However, there are no cut scores, so this would be a hard construct to test. The most you should need to know is that positive cold hyperalgesia does indicate poorer prognosis for neck pain. To recap, high pain, high self-reported disability, high pain catastrophizing, high post-traumatic stress, and cold hyperalgesia can each indicate a poorer prognosis with neck pain. Similarly important are the factors listed that do not impact prognosis in traumatic onset neck pain, because many of them seem plausible. These include angular deformity of the neck, such as scoliosis or flattened lordosis, impact direction, seating position in the vehicle, awareness of the impending collision, having a headrest in place at the time of collision, stationary versus moving when hit, and older age. So look out for OCS question writers to include answers or information that sound plausible, but that have either not been studied or have been shown specifically not to impact prognosis. Let's make this a little more practical and go through a practice question. A 33-year-old female presents to an outpatient physical therapy clinic two weeks after being involved in a motor vehicle accident. She reports 8 out of 10 pain on the NPRS, and radiographs performed in the emergency department revealed moderate degenerative disc disease at C5-6 and C6-7 with mild facet arthrosis. The clinical exam reveals cervical rotation active range of motion of 45 degrees to the left and 50 degrees to the right with pain throughout range of motion, grossly 4 out of 5 strength throughout the upper extremities, normal dermatomes and myotomes, and hypomobility and pain with UPA to right C5. Which of the following additional pieces of information would indicate a poorer prognosis for this patient? A. Positive deep neck flexor endurance test. B. Previous history of neck pain. C. Pain catastrophizing scale of 22. Or D. Neck disability index score of 25%. Hopefully, having just heard this information, this is an easy question, but there are a couple of tricky options. Answer A, positive deep neck flexor endurance test, is helpful in classifying this patient as neck pain with movement coordination impairments, but this is not helpful in forming prognosis. B, previous history of neck pain, is a significant risk factor for developing neck pain, but does not impact prognosis. C, the correct answer, pain catastrophizing scale of 22, is one of the prognostic factors that does meet the cut score to indicate poorer prognosis. 
D NDI score of 25% is tricky because the NDI is one of the prognostic factors. However, a score of 25% does not reach the cut score that would indicate a poorer prognosis. So that wraps up our first episode in our neck pain clinical practice guideline series. If you liked that practice question, head on over to physiofieldguide.com to sign up to get free, high-quality practice questions in your inbox. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and give us a review on your podcast platform. Then share it with your colleagues. Friends don't let friends waste time studying for the OCS. Thanks for listening to OCS Field Guide. Don't forget to subscribe and then head to physiofieldguide.com for practice questions and more resources.